Hello, my name is Jason Reichel, and you're listening to Risk Management Brick by Brick. I'm fascinated with people who are helping build and maintain the physical world around us. On each episode of this podcast, we'll dive in with a risk manager, speak to them about how technology plays a role in this process. This week, I'm joined by Jason Levy, the CEO of Document Crunch, contract intelligence platform for the construction industry. Josh Levy has experience in negotiating billion-dollar contracts for complex construction projects. As a thought leader in this space, his expertise prepares him to understand the construction landscape and see the difficulties that the industry has with understanding and managing risk in construction contracts. That means he understands what you need to do as a risk manager to protect your team and communicate the all-important, all-essential contract. Let's get into it with Josh. Hey, Josh. How are you? Thank you for joining me on Brick by Brick. I'm doing great. How are you today? Good, man. Where are you based out of? I'm here in sunny Atlanta, Georgia right now. In Atlanta, Georgia. So the first question that I have for you that I start every show with, but it's an interesting one because I don't think that many people get into construction, risk, risk technologies. That's not where you started when you were a kid. No one says that. So what's the story of Josh and what's the story of Document Crunch? What are you guys up to? Yeah, I mean, that's a great question. And it's funny because I often say, unlike a lot of founders, like I don't have some cool tech background, no experience in Silicon Valley. I'm not even very technologically inclined (laughs) in my personal life, frankly. I don't know that I'd be considered, you know, totally unsavvy, but I'm definitely not super technologically inclined. So how did I get into this? Well, as a confused uh, freshman, my first week at the University of Florida, I signed up for the construction management program as my major, in part because in the early 2000s, it was such a hot program and so many, they, they marketed, I remember it, in orientation, 100% job placement out of college. So I was like, that sounds pretty cool. So I signed up. I was the construction manager major at University of Florida. After doing internships with a lot of big contractors, some of whom are customers here today in Document Crunch, I decided I didn't want to be a project manager. I had a professor who used to say, you got to love the smell of sawdust and concrete if you're going to make it in this industry. And the reality is, I just didn't, Jason. I didn't love the smell of sawdust and concrete. I didn't love being on a project site every day, but I was very intrigued by the business, the overall business. So I wasn't really sure what to do with all that, but I did what a lot of confused college kids do when they graduate. I decided to go to law school. I will stop here and just say that decision I made as an 18-year-old to kind of like join this industry was the greatest decision I ever made. And I'll tell you why. So I went to law school. Thought I was going to be a sports agent or do something like that. Of course, in 2007, when I started law school, things were looking pretty good. But but after my first year of law school, the entire economy crashed, right? It was just completely brutal. And I was down at the University of Miami, at law school in my hometown of Miami, Florida, and no one could get a job. And I remember my last year of law school, I got a call from the career office of the University of Miami. And they said, hey, the best firm in Miami is looking for someone who has a construction background because all of these buildings that were built during the boom are now in litigation. (laughs) It actually heard that we had a construction management major like in our school and they were asking if they could talk to you. And I was like, why are we even talking right now? Like, hang up and tell them I'll be there like right now. No one could get a job. So lo and behold, that construction background landed me my first job. I'd also be remiss if I didn't tell you a little story in that period of time. 15 years ago this summer, I was clerking for a young partner at the premium law firm for construction law in the, in the U.S. 
Flash forward 15 years later, he is the managing partner of that Miami office. He is on the National Executive Committee nationwide. He's actually my co-founder of Document Crunch. So his name's Adam Hanfinger. And, and you know, it's actually a good string to pull because we're pretty relational at Document Crunch, but you can see how far back that yes. professional and personal relationship goes. Which is very true at the construction industry in general and in the insurance industry, right? It's a very deep well of relationships that kind of make the built world happen. You nailed it. So I practiced construction law in South Florida exclusively for several years. Eight years ago, I left private practice and I went in-house up in Atlanta, where I am today, sunny Atlanta, Georgia. I went in-house with a very large contractor, being our top 20 contractor. And I came into their Southeastern business unit, national contractor that had a big operation throughout the Southeast. When I came in, I want to say we were like $600 million in revenue. And along my five years there, we grew quite a bit as the market started picking up. This is in like 2015. And when I left, we were over a billion dollars a year in revenue. And I was running the legal department for this business unit and just getting all kinds of incredible experience. The inspiration for Document Crunch really came during that period of time. But as I kind of look back at that whole career that I've had, and of course, just for your benefit, when I say that I'm exclusively a construction lawyer, you can't be exclusively a construction lawyer without having a deep understanding of the insurance side of the construction business. They're almost like intertwined completely. And so I have a very long history working in and around the insurance side of the business, everything from compliance, to claims, to litigation, you name it. And so definitely have a profound appreciation for what you all are doing at TrustLayer. And just the risk managers out there have long been my friends, my colleagues, and frankly, now our customers here at Document Crunch. If I was a risk manager and thinking about what is Document Crunch, what is it to a risk manager? Yeah, so Document Crunch is, is, has a very simple mission. It's to empower everyone in the industry to understand what's in their contracts. And when I think about everyone, the risk manager, and this is why so many of them are users of our product, they're often in this like very interesting intersection in the business where, yes, their primary role is to think about like insurance and procuring that insurance or ensuring that the insurance programs are working for the company compliance. But what often bleeds right into that is like understanding the contracts that the insurance is applicable to or what the risks of a project may be that would need to be insured. And so the risk managers, and especially in like kind of the middle market where there's not necessarily a legal department or what we say, like in organizations that have zero to two lawyers, those risk managers have a pretty like sophisticated role where they're dealing with contractors every single day. That's from a, hey, we're bidding the job. Let's make sure that like everything's in order. Like there's no real bad risks in here to, hey, let's negotiate the job to, hey, we're now setting the project team up for success and there's an issue like, and we need to read the contract and understand what's going on. So when you talk about our mission of empowering everyone to understand what's in their contracts and you think about the typical risk manager's role, there's a lot of overlap there and we're helping risk managers every single day. Yeah, one of the things that risk managers, so TrustLayer works in sort of the COI tracking space, making sure that people have the right compliance, automating that, extracting from those COIs. But it often comes down to some risk managers fall into two camps. One is, well, it doesn't matter about COI tracking or whatever, it's all in the contract. And then some go, it's in the contract and then we have these policies and then realize that the contract and their policies don't actually align, right? But it's always sort of an illusion of agreement that's occurring between what you're validating and then what you're asking for as a complete story. 
Well, I'll share a story with you because one of the first things that we do at Document Crunch is we also taught it to read insurance policies because I'm in the latter camp that you just said. And so here's like the deal. Throughout my legal career, I would say 30% of those instances where I was an additional insured on a subcontractor's policy, vis-a-vis my subcontract with them and a COI. And I went and I fished out that COI from some banker's box somewhere in a dungeon or a warehouse. And I dusted it off and I called the insurance carrier and said, hey, like there's been a major leak in this building and you're the stucco insurer. Like you can cover me now. And 30% of the time, I would learn that the COI wasn't worth the paper it was written. Yes. Right. The COI is indicative of coverage, but it is not evidence of coverage. And I know the reason why, because up to today, it has been commercially impracticable to review every single policy and every single contract and make sure that they line up. Right. The insurance, the insurance policies and then people issuing them can't keep up with the demand. So it's become this sort of thing where sometimes people are getting information or exposing information on the COIs that's not 100% accurate to the coverage. That's exactly right. And think about this for a second. I've been involved in billions upon billions upon billions of dollars in projects and hundreds upon hundreds upon hundreds of millions of dollars in claims. And 30% of the time that I'm an AI, and I should say additional insured, AI being as a new term today, in 30% of the time where I'm an additional insured, I found out that that coverage that I thought I had actually did not exist, which means that my policy had to cover it, my deductible to cover it, my premium would go up, et cetera, et cetera. That's a big problem when you think about that. That's a very big problem. That's an expensive problem. I liken the whole problem to, there's that story about Van Halen back in the day talking about M&Ms and they'd only ask for one kind. And the whole reason they did that was actually an insurance reason. They had those cages that would flip upside down and if you were getting the M&Ms right, they could trust that you assembled all of the hardcore equipment correct, right? That you were actually matching those two things together. I love that. I had not heard right? that. So it wasn't that they were rock stars. It was a way of checking that people were paying attention to what's happening. One thing that I often get asked and that you think you're in a unique position to answer was for a risk manager, what's important to understand about their actual contract that might impact their job that they're not getting? Everyone knows about additional insured or people are asking for these policies that are not always applicable or even possible for their trade partner to get, as an example, in construction sites. There seems to be sort of a disconnect between, well, let's just ask for the biggest thing we need and deal with the fallout of that. Or what is your take on what is important about a contract? What needs to be in there? How should risk managers look at that? How should they work with their law team in order to make sure that they're covering themselves? That kind of whole gamut. Yeah, I think it really truly depends on what the risk manager's role is. So let me like maybe give a little bit of a broader answer, assuming that it would cover like any construction company that has risk management concerns. The first thing that I would think about is like, okay, so let's just start with the easy thing. Like, do we have the insurance that these folks are asking for? And does and if we don't have that insurance, how much is it going to cost to get insurance that complies with that? And is that insurance reasonable? And now let's get that to the next point. Given the like the scope and what I'm doing, is the price and the fee that I'm charging, is that a reasonable exchange for the risk that I'm taking? And when I think about the risk that I'm taking and how much of that risk is actually uninsurable risk, and I think that's something that oftentimes goes beyond like, are you signing up for a contract that actually has a lot of risk, which is not insurable, which therefore comes right out of your bottom line? So defining the risk appetite that you have, then defining what you can actually get coverage from, how much you're exposing yourself to, right? 
And then actually understanding of how that relates back to your rates and the, the bid that you gave and everything else is something that a lot of organizations that just have no visibility into whatsoever. Exactly. So there's that, right? And there's then I would just say this now depends on the risk manager's role. Like, are they truly a holistic advisor on all things going on in the contract? Because then I could list like a rattle off another 42 things that they should be like thinking about. But I think generally, like that's a good Jason framework. Exactly how you just said it, right? What is the true risk profile of the project? How much of that is insurable? Is the insurance that they're asking for even reasonable? And how does all of that relate to the fees? both for the profit that you're, that you're taking on, the scope of work that you have, and frankly, like what you're charging even for the insurance portion of the project. If someone's asking you for $100 million in insurance and you have a $5 million scope of work, I guess the question is why? And frankly, you could take it to the next level. Like, so think about this for a second, right? The owner of a building is paying me to come screw in a light bulb at a tower in, in downtown San Francisco. In theory, I could burn down that entire building and in theory, caused a billion dollars worth of liability. And that's true. So I guess in theory, they could ask me, the light bulb is solar, have a billion dollars worth of insurance, right? But do you know who has a billion dollars worth of insurance? The owner, because they have to insure that building as, as part of their cost of running that building. So what does that mean? That means all their tenants are paying a piece of that insurance, piece of the rent. That means every water bottle that they're selling has some of that insurance, whatever. And so I guess my point is like, a deeper level understanding, if I was sitting across the table from someone who was requiring that I bring a billion dollars of insurance for my $5 light bulb install job, would be, is that actually efficient? Why are we double insuring this? Like, And by the way, if you're going to make me carry that, I'm going to charge you for it. So now you're getting to pay for your billion dollar insurance and for my billion dollar insurance. But I often think a lot of those things go right over the heads of folks. It's kind of common sense, Right. You're the building owner. Of course, you have to have that insurance. And that risk is baked into every single part of your business. Why would you double pay for me to carry that on top of you already paying for it? Yeah. In reality, isn't that because the uninsured part of that risk, the owner is trying to get insured through you as the vendor, right? And they're trying to get cover? Or it depends. If there is a gap that they're trying to fill, I get it. But if they're just, you said it, if you're just blindly asking for something and someone's just blindly accepting what you're asking for, is that even the most like economically efficient way to deal with risk? And I think these are the things that like a good risk manager would really press on and say, why are we doing this? Why would we be exposing our balance sheet or our long-term insurance premiums to this? Isn't there something that they're already carrying in their cost of doing business? Like why? And if we are going to do that, well, surely there's a cost for that. I mean, if you ask me to provide my $1 million GL policy, that's a lot more reasonable than providing a billion dollars of coverage, right? Correct. Absolutely. One question that often comes up when we talk about this is risk management methodologies in general, which is, should I have unique contracts for everyone I work in with, or should I have three or four categories and categorize vendors into those risks so that I'm managing my contracts more closely and paying attention to what in, is in them. Because if I have 150 unique contracts, that's harder to pay attention to what's in them and, and manage that. So what's your suggestion from that perspective? It's a great question. And what I would say is like two answers. You're never going to have three or four categories of contracts if you're dealing upstream. So if you're the general contractor and you're talking about contracts with the owner, guess what? You're at the owner's mercy, the owner sources those. Now, if you're the general contractor and you have subcontractors and vendors and folks like that, yes, having a template so that you know exactly what's in each contract is absolutely the right way to go because it's like the more efficient way to administrate. But if you're looking upstream, 
you're at the mercy of the party that's upstream and you're going to have unique contracts, which is why a risk manager's role is so important because it's nuanced. Like there's parts of it that are going to be programmatic, like put a good system in place, have the requirements downstream, you know exactly what you're requiring, you have a way to validate it, whether it's with the trust layer or something else, whatever. But upstream, you're really at the mercy of whoever you're dealing with and likely it's going to be nuanced. One thing that we're talking about is contract intelligence and data, why it matters to back offices, projects, insurers. We're talking about risk managers. But how else can risk managers interface with those other people and be of assistance when it comes to contracting? Like, what's the relationship between the risk manager and the project manager as it relates to contracts? Yeah, again, it really depends. So let's assume that that risk manager has more of that elevated role like we talked about that in those organizations that maybe don't have a built-out legal department. That's the challenge. In that example, just to be clear, you're saying where risk managers are acting as sort of a pseudo lawyer for the organization, although obviously they probably have outside counsel if they need it, they're making a lot of decisions on the fly without consulting with a professional. Yeah, I wouldn't call him a pseudo lawyer. I'd call him like a risk professional, right? I mean, look, you're talking about the inspiration that led us to founding Doc McGraw. So Here I was at an organization that could afford to have someone like me sitting there in-house doing a lot of great work. One, most of the industry doesn't have that. Like Most of the industry doesn't have someone like me to review every piece of paper and push back on how much insurance and da-da-da-da-da-da-da. So that was one issue. But the bigger issue is, even in the companies that have someone like me or have a risk manager, I would have a line of people outside my office every single day with a hard hat in one hand, and a piece of paper in the other hand, knocking on my door saying something happened on the project. What is the contract? Like, what do we do? How do we manage this? How do we put the insurance people on notice? Whose responsibilities? Whatever it is, like crap happens on construction projects every day. And the contract's a black box for those people in the field. It's confusing. It's written by a bunch of jerks like me with funny legalese and whatever. And being able to build a bridge between those people who understand this stuff and those people who need it to make good decisions every day is literally what inspired us to found Document Crunch. So I guess to answer your question, how can a risk manager do this? Either you're a hell of a leader or you start to figure out how to build that bridge. And in our case, we think that there's technology now to do that, to amplify your influence, to help collaborate and create transparency to make that not a black box anymore. Yeah, right. I guess that leads to another question where people are thinking about this. And I come from Silicon Valley. So immediately I go to, okay, artificial intelligence, summarization, human processing. What does the future look like for risk managers as it relates to contract review and analyzing those things and AI and chat GTP? What's your stance on that? I mean, obviously you're building a company and a piece of technology. So is that going to be something that is applicable just to chat GPT, pop it in, then you're good to go? Or is it more nuanced than that? No, it's much more nuanced than that. I mean, especially when you start to get into the nuanced world of risk management or contract compliance and whatnot, I think that there's a lot of room for error in just like a pure open interface, like a chat GPT. It's really, or chat GPT is awesome, but you have to understand what it is that you're looking for and you have to understand how to validate that what you're looking for is right. So like that user beware. In the case of document crunch, rather than leave it open, we're actually building some of that technology on top of our proprietary models already. Like we're very good at identifying issues in contracts and providing context around them. And then when you put the LLMs on top of that, it's like super powerful. 
And it really allows you to level up. But I think that this technology is incredibly powerful, but it also could lead you incredibly astray if you don't have the right subject matter expertise going into it and you're left to your own devices. So, And probably not a defined risk appetite either, right? Like if you don't have a defined, like the problem with all these models is they're open to your point. And what really isn't critical about your contract as far as it relates to risk management and compliance is what are your thresholds? What are your risks? These are all things that are, private business information that allows you to stay competitive in the marketplace, right? It, so it's, how do we utilize these tools? And I think that's one of the points you're getting to. How do we utilize these tools while also having these closed models, which are really owned by the business and owned by risk managers when they have to define what it is risk we're taking on? I mean, candidly, Jason, it's incumbent upon technology providers like us to bridge that gap and make it easier. Like you don't want to leave people to their own devices and you want to make sure that you have like real actionable information or workflow support for folks. So we are making it easier for folks behind the scenes so they just get what they need vis-a-vis this technology rather than being left to try and get it to do something for them that they may or may not even understand and may or may not even be able to validate whether what they're getting back is acceptable. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's you know, if you're a risk manager and you're going, okay, all this technology is going to come and disrupt it or it's going to make it easier. The truth of the matter is you're on that team for your expertise. And all of these are tools for you that hopefully will help with some of those translation layers or other things. And that's what I tell all of our customers too, when they're looking at how is AI going to affect the future of insurance related uh, around compliance or risk management. And it's, and it's really interesting because they still feel like it's part art, part science for this job, for defining these things and then setting up these rules and then understanding how to translate these. You know, one thing that comes up time and time again on this podcast is two characteristics that are important to risk managers, curiosity, right, and translation. So translating what you believe or what you know is a risk or insurance or contracts or the million other things or even construction back up to business process being that translation layer between all the different departments and how these tools can play a role in that is interesting, but I don't think it's going to replace anytime soon in this industry, the person who's helping define how to look at this information. Yeah, there's too much nuance and context needed from the unit. So you want to make as much of it easy for them as possible. But yes, a full automation, I don't see anytime soon around contracts. I think that anyone who is promising that uh, doesn't have a true appreciation for the depths of like the nuance that is needed for this. And I think like it is an absolute supplement, but not a replacement to the human experience. I'll tell you right now, my software document grants already were a performance enhancer for the typical risk manager out there. Like they're left at this funny intersection of reviewing contracts. They're not lawyers. Having that little extra bit of assurance and confidence and speeding them up makes all the difference. So it, it enhances their ability to be great risk managers. and. I think that in the case of like these LLMs, it's going to just further enhance that. Instead of going 2x now, we can go 4x, if you will. And so that's really powerful, but it still has to be built on a solid foundation, not just left to an open interface. Right. Yeah, I think that if you're a construction company owner, and you're like, oh, I won't need risk managers in the future. I think that you're going to be sadly mistaken. I think with all this complexity and information flowing around and new things. One thing that people never understand about technology, I've been in the technology industry forever, implementing softwares, and I do think it's a productivity boon, but often technology exposes elements that you weren't prepared to deal with that are hidden in the minutia of people not understanding that, right? So if you implement a software, sometimes you're going to go through this, what I call a U-curve of 
time that you're going to have to put in because it's highlighting things that, yeah, you knew, but now it's highlighting them with this little red flag in your software or something to that nature that you actually have to deal with. And I think that's where all this technology is going to get you, which is here's all these issues. Now, what are you going to do about them? And I think that's going to be the modern risk manager's role is now going to be to how do I systematically improve my business and turn it into a asset that allows us to win more business. I mean, one thing about risk management, I'd love to get your point on this before we move on to the last question, is risk managers are at this intersection of being looked at historically as a cost center or a reduction center, an insurance piece, but now are trying to get into a position of actually generating money in some ways for the construction companies they work for through construction-owned captive or whatever that mean is. But it's obvious that risk managers are becoming more part of executive leadership and elements like that in this business because it takes a lot of nuance to manage all the diversity that's happening and all the risk across cyber, across, you know, if your organization is now going to do projects in the past that it wouldn't have done or all the different things that are happening across risk management, it's a really critical time. And I think you kind of need those superpowers sometimes. You need the things that are going to help you be more productive and more consistent. I think the insurance and risk management space and we're doing a lot of this now, starting to get into some data benchmarking, is ripe to become more predictive and more of a profit center yeah. for this industry. I truly believe it is. So yes, I think you're right on there. I think it, like this is one of those areas where this technology, as we start pointing in the right direction and collecting data, you're going to be able to monetize that as a company, for sure. Last question I have for you is, if you were going to start your career all over again, what is the piece of advice you would give to yourself? Yeah. So the first thing that came to my mind is follow your heart. But the reality is, is that looking back on it, I don't know that I should have been a lawyer moving forward. I have so much more of a gift for the, the area that I'm in now. But it took years of training and discipline that's been at the foundation of that. So the thing that I will say is if I could start my career again, the piece of advice I would give myself would be don't be afraid to bet on yourself. Have confidence in yourself. And if you are following your heart, it's really powerful. And having confidence in yourself and betting on yourself would be the thing that I would say, especially when you're young, take those risks, bet on yourself. Absolutely. I think that's great advice. One thing that we often don't understand is that hindsight is really valuable. Create the dots to connect. Take the risk, take the things that are interesting to you. Go down the avenues, test the different things because... I consider those all dots you're creating. And that is how I, I believe that's how we build a modern career, right? It's all these different dots that end up summing up to something that you're like, God, I was always on this journey and I didn't even know it. And I think that's in your story and in my story of where I'm at, I grew up with a father that was a longshoreman that didn't understand how I was a nerd that was into technology, right? Like didn't get it. And then I spent my career helping build technology for logistics organizations and in construction and compliance because I still have very much those dots that are tied to this very physical world that we live in. That's awesome. Yeah, that makes a ton of sense. Yeah. Thank you for your time, man. I appreciate having you on the podcast. And it's been very interesting to sit down with someone that's really understands what's happening at a black box intersection of the risk management world. Thanks so much for having me. I really enjoyed it. Thank you, man. Talk to you later. Bye. Bye. Risk Management Brick by Brick is brought to you by TrustLayer. Find out how TrustLayer manages risk so that the people can build the physical world around us, head over to trustlayer.io. And then make sure to subscribe to Risk Management Brick by Brick on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. On behalf of the Trustlayer team, thank you for listening. <laughs>